Live from the Business Radio X studio inside Renaissance Bank, the bank that specializes in understanding you. It's time for North Fulton Business Radio. And hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of North Fulton Business Radio, first of the year for 2023. I'm John Ray, and folks, as usual, we are broadcasting inside Renaissance Bank in beautiful Alpharetta. And if you're looking for a bank that's big enough to handle pretty much any need you can throw at them as you're a small business, but they're small enough to, to deliver their services in a personal way, if you're looking for that magic combination, I've found that at Renaissance Bank, and I think you will too. So here's what I would suggest. Go to renaissancebank.com, check them out there. You can find one of their local offices and maybe give them a call. I think you'll be glad you did. Renaissance Bank, understanding you, member FDIC. And now I want to welcome Jeb Butler. I'm getting this new year off to a terrible start. Jeb Jeb Butler, he's partner with Butler Con. Jeb, welcome. Hi, thanks for for having me on here. Hey, it's great to have you. Uh, Let's give an introduction. How are you serving folks at Butler Con? Sure. So we are a small law firm that specializes in serious injury and wrongful death cases. Um, That is to say that if someone's been hurt, if there's a family that needs help and they have a a, a negligence case or a legal case, we're there for that. Um, What we don't do is some of the um, sort of nonsense that sometimes gets associated with personal injury law firms. Like, I think a lot of times if I'm at a cocktail party, I meet somebody, I say I'm a personal injury lawyer, they (laughs) kind of look at me funny because they associate me with like, you know, what they perceive to be um, BS cases in the media or annoying daytime TV ads. That's not us, uh, but we do good work on good cases when people are really hurt and really need it. Yeah. Uh, well, okay, so you told me you could, I could ask this question. I don't remember saying that, but all right, I guess go ahead. <laughs> I got to be afraid. I'm sitting across <laughs> the, the table from an attorney, folks. Uh, we'll see how this goes here. But – no, you brought up uh, the, uh, and I'll call them this, gimmicky ads. Sure. You know, yeah. uh, uh, no click, come stick, or whatever, you know, whatever a little uh, fancy little uh, uh, ditty they've got. And that's uh, all over. It's not just daytime TV. It's all TV 24-7, and it's yeah. radio, and it's, uh, I just took a trip here over Christmas. It's every other billboard. So talk about what makes you different from those attorneys. Yeah, I mean, if I could shut those people up, I would. I mean, they're they're more annoying to me than to anybody else because they're sort of an embarrassment. I have to deal with that perception, right? Every time I'm in my social life, you know, meet somebody, hey, mm-hmm. what do you do? Um, and then every time we try a case and we do jury selection, I talk about that in a minute. But you asked what makes us different, and the difference is that we care and we do good work. Mm. Um, I don't mean to paint myself as some sort of altruist. I'm, I'm not trying to do that, but um, we're a small firm who cares deeply about the work that we do. You know, a lot of our cases come to us through our firm's reputation um, in, in two ways. One, sort of professionally and, and then also publicly. And by professionally, I mean other lawyers in the community because, you know, the Atlanta area is a smaller legal community than you would think. Mm-hmm. Um, other lawyers generally know us and they know we're not full of it. They know we can try a case. They know we can do a good job. We get a lot of referrals from other lawyers that way. 
Um, and then we've started to earn a pretty good public reputa- reputation. If you look at our Google reviews, there's like 250 of them. Oh, wow. And they're all five stars. Wow. And if you read them, you can tell that they're like real people. Um, <laughs> you know, th- there are lots of unseemly advertisements in the um, online world. Yeah. And you can kind of find that if you start reading some people's reviews, you'll say, I think this was written by a bot in somewhere in Bosnia. <laughs> that's you right. Know? Right. right. But we actually do good work and, and that's how we get our business. And that's what we're proud of, I think. So I think that's what makes us, us different. Um, than a lot of advertisers that the personal injury space is a really weird industry. Mm. Uh, because there are basically two kinds of firms with vastly different levels of service charging the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I, that it's not an, that's not an efficient market. If I had an MBA, I could probably tell you why, but I don't. I'm just a lawyer. Yeah. Um, but you have on one end of that spectrum, you're what I call the wholesale law firms. You have uh, 401 Payne. You have Neil Flitt and all the sort of big advertisers you see on buses and billboards. Yeah, right. Who right. spend, I mean, millions of dollars a year sure. on their advertising budgets. Right. Um, what they don't spend all that money on is client service. So what they tend to have is you'll have hundreds of cases per lawyer. Um, at the other end of the spectrum, you have us and other firms like us. And we're not the only folks who do good work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've got in my sort of division of the firm – um, at any given time, 30 to 40 cases among four lawyers. Mm-hmm. So it's a vastly different level of service and devotion to the case. Well, okay, so I'm not a um, – uh, I'm just a poor, poor economics major. So, But here's what I, I see in this, and you tell yeah, me if I'm wrong. Tell me. Okay, so what I see is a um, – if everyone charges the same thing, and what you mean by that is a percentage of the of the settlement or d- verdict or whatever, right? Right. That's what Absolutely. you mean by that. So if everyone charges the same amount, mm-hmm. and you're with a firm that spends millions of dollars on advertisement, that's money that could be going into the client's pocket that's not going into the client's pocket, right? And if you're a wholesale firm that's basically running a – volume business we call it a mill there you go um i was trying to be nice uh, <laughs> uh, a volume i ain't the host i don't have to be nice <laughs> that's right yeah you don't have to interview any of these folks next week uh, uh if if you're if you've got that kind of business then um what you're really doing is you're trying to get them through as quickly as possible and you may not take a client to the courtroom yep. where they ought to go as opposed to settle. I mean, that's, that's, Is that, am right. I right about all I, that? I think you nailed it, John. I okay. mean, th- that's right. What you get when you have a hundred cases per lawyer is the cases are being actually run by uh, people who don't have law degrees and they're, they try very hard, but they're overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. So when someone spends that much on advertising, they ain't spending that much higher than the best folks because mm-hmm. they ain't going out in salary. It's going out somewhere else. Right. So you have folks who, um, almost by necessity, just churn cases through, get it in, get it out, get it in, get it out with as little attention as possible because that's that's the business model. And that works out um, financially. That works out quite well for the owners of those law firms mm-hmm. in the long term. Right. Um, but it does not work out well for the for the law firm's clients. Right. 
I think, and I may be naive or optimistic, but I, I think that we're going to start to see an end to that. I feel like consumers are starting to wise up that um, with the internet and Google reviews, you know, that's an imperfect method of finding a lawyer, mm-hmm. uh, but it's better than picking somebody off a radio jingle. Mm-hmm. So I think we're starting to see where the low quality of some of those firms is starting to show up. Like I think our public is starting to figure that out just a little bit. At least I hope. Yeah. Jeb Butler is with us, folks. Jeb is partner with Butler Con firm here in the Roswell area, North Fulton. So um, here's another question you told me you, that I could ask. Okay. <laughs> All attorneys say they want to help people. Yeah. Really, everybody says that, right? It's sure. not just attorneys. They're, so what, you know, what makes, um, how do you live into that, I guess, is the question versus what the perception is among clients out there and what they uh, look at in the profession. Yeah, this is a good question. Um, we do want to help people. I think the the big the big answer for me personally is that, um, I mean, the money matters. I got to run a law firm. We got salaries to pay, sure, um, computers to buy, and all that, and subscriptions to pay, and all that kind of stuff. And I got to put bread on my own table. So I'm not trying to pretend that like I'm just an altruist who is out there only for others. Um, it is a for profit business. Having said that. Um, if you, I think if you really want to be successful in any career law or anything else, money can't be the only reason you get out of bed in the morning because mm. it won't motivate you long term. Right. Um, that'll motivate people in the short term. But if you want to do well and really excel in any field, as I think we have, you've got to be motivated by something else. Um, and that something else for us is really two things. One of them is helping folks. I mean, We've had some clients who had just tremendous needs. I'll tell a story about one in a minute if you let me. Yeah, please. Um, and we're able to help and just like change their lives and their families' lives for the better dramatically through the work of our firm and through some things that nobody else could have done. And I'm real proud of that. And that will get you out of bed and get you to work over and over again. The other thing that I find motivating, maybe because I'm not the nicest person in the world, I don't think I'm that bad, but... Um, is I really like to see my adversaries defeated. We, we have in this field. Look at you. <laughs> we have in this field some uh, powerful adversaries who do things they shouldn't, and we get to take them down. And I just love that. And you're specifically talking about insurance companies, right? You know, insurers are one. I think uh, more of other defendants. I think of a case we had against Fiat Chrysler Automobiles. Oh, really? Yeah. So um, – Fiat Chrysler Automobiles owns the Jeep brand. You know, it mm-hmm. used to be Chrysler for decades, and now mm-hmm. it's Fiat Chrysler, and then um, now it's Stellantis. They keep changing names. But it was Cerberus Capital for a hot minute there. But anyway, what happened with them is that for years and years, decades, they were putting the um, gas tank in some of their Jeeps right next to the rear bumper. Mm. Now, that was a common design in, like, the 50s and 60s. Yeah, I was going to say, this sounds like the uh, the Ford, uh, what was it, the Maverick way back in the day? The Pinto, yes, Or oh, the sir. Pinto, yeah, You're the Pinto, it. yeah. 100%. It's the same darn thing. Uh, Good grief. Yeah, I mean, that was a, a, the famous snafu of the early 70s, the Pinto. Right, right. So uh, Chrysler kept doing it on their Jeeps long after every other responsible automaker had moved the gas tank mm. forward of the rear axle to what we call the midships location. Okay. 
obvious reason the most common collision out there is a rear end. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to get hit in the rear, you don't want your gas tank to be absorbing the impact. Like, that's a bad move. You know, right. there's other stuff that's better for that. For instance, a bumper. But so Chrysler on a lot of their um, Grand Cherokees, Cherokees, and Jeep Liberties um, had essentially no, well, with the exception of the Cherokee, the Grand Cherokee and Liberty had essentially no bumper. There was a strip of foam and some plastic over it. Mm. And like the next thing was the effing gas tank. So someone would get hit in the rear and the vehicle would explode. People mm. would burn alive. Wow. Um, we handled one of these cases where a, a five-year-old boy was trapped in the back seat and, and burned to death and just mm-hmm. would break your heart. Like you could, it, one of the things I'll have seared in my mind forever is the image of his burned body when the firefighters finally got the flames out, pressed against the door obviously trying to climb out like you mm. can't you can't forget that wow um but you have a case like that against Fiat chrysler and their defenses are just um crazy they deny the problem we'll find internal documents that are like you know what when we test these vehicles internally we need to stop putting our test instruments like our accelerometers and other measurement devices in the back because they're getting crushed so <laughs> That was like costing them money. So they pull their test instruments out of the back. They left the freaking gas tank there. Lovely. Uh, because it costs too much to, to engineer a change, right? Mm-hmm. Even though all their competitors have done it. Mm. So we took one of those um, cases to trial. Uh, Fiat Chrysler had settled all of them, all of them, out of court um, for decades. We took them to trial, got a $150 million verdict. And I love that. Um, it was upheld on appeal, too. but. Mm. Um, you know, that's a long, hard fight. That case was um, like three years event to trial, which is fast for a case like that, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. And then another couple of years on appeal. Um, but a case like that puts the word out and it makes a difference, I think. So, you know, when you talk about something that gets you out of bed in the morning, you know, that's one of the things. Yeah, wow. What a story. Well, let's talk about verdicts like that because i think that's the other thing people see those verdicts and um you know sometimes it's over a cup of coffee or whatever right the 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 stories that stick in people's minds yeah uh that may or may not have truth to them um all they remember is the headline um and then there's the story you just told right Um, and here's a five-year-old who has i don't know what the outcome for this um young boy was, but, um, that is going to have years and years and years of effects to deal with. Right. Um, and that's really what we're talking about. And I think that's what people don't think about. Right. I think that's right. You know, um, people think about the McDonald's coffee case. And if you actually dig into that, the sort of media narrative is not quite right, but, what people think about that, I think, when they talk about frivolous lawsuits and jackpot justice and all the other tort reform phrases, mm-hmm. um, they tend to think less, although I think they do think sometimes about the stories like I just told, like a lawsuit where someone needs to get nailed and they do. Yeah. Um, but the daily reality, like those are both outliers, right? The daily reality of the personal injury space um, is something different the the sort of average daily reality case is going to be someone who's been hurt in a collision 
not too badly. They call an advertiser firm because that's all they know. Mm-hmm. They never met me or somebody like sure. that. Uh, and then they get their case handled by a bunch of people who aren't really lawyers. It gets just run through without a lot of thought by anybody. They end up with some kind of settlement that doesn't really compensate them for what they've been through and are going to go through. And then they sort of leave the space and hopefully never have to have another PI case again. Mm. So I think perception runs um, different than reality in PI in this way. Most cases are sort of quiet, and there's just not a lot of drama in them. But when people think about PI, of course, they're either thinking of uh, McDonald's coffee or the Jeep case I just talked about. I've been fortunate in my career to be involved in a lot of cases like um, the latter, but you know, that's, that's not the norm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Jeb, I'm curious, I want to shift gears here just a little bit. You, um, went to law school, you had a lot of different options to, to, um, uh, in terms of disciplines you could have gone into why, why personal injury for you and what, what lights you up in the morning? I think we've heard a little bit of it. Yeah. What lights you up in the morning? Uh, to do the work you do. You know, that's sort of changed. What lights me up has sort of changed over the years. I, I have always liked to help people that I like. Mm-hmm. Um, I will make a note on my little legal pad here to tell you the story of David Turnbull. Okay. But um, I've always liked that. Um, I've always liked winning or defeating adversaries I disliked, which <laughs> is a <laughs> substantial percentage of them. Not all. I mean, I do, I do have defense lawyers I get along with, but yeah. there's a lot that, that I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and more and more in recent years, you know, as, as the firm has grown to more than just me, it's to see that it functions, see the law firm function as a, as a business where like something will happen in the firm. I didn't do it or even know it's happening, but it was the right thing. And that gives me great pride mm. um, to see like someone come into the firm, their case comes through, it gets handled, a lawyer's their paralegals, our office manager, our intake person, see the thing through. And I don't see it until the end when this nice Google review pops up for us and someone's talking about how much they love Graham Roberts, you know, yeah, or whoever, yeah. whatever lawyer they interacted with mainly. Right. That gives me great, great pride now. Um, I feel it's like, um, <laughs> it's like raising bird dogs. I guess there's not many people in your audience who are going to understand that analogy, but <laughs> when you, when the system has been set up and it's working well and it's helping people it's supposed to help, you know, um, that that's the new thing that I really enjoy that, um, wasn't always the case when everything was me. I think we've got a few hunters in our listeners that they, they would understand that. Metaphor. Okay, good. So I, good. I, I think we've got a few out there. Um, talk about, um, how someone should pick a, a PI attorney. You brought this up. Sure. Because nobody goes through life thinking, I need to know a PI ter- attorney, right? <laughs> that, that'd, be, that'd be pretty. <laughs> no, nobody thinks that's, that's, I need to have them on my emergency list on the refrigerator, right? Right. Um, so when something happens, they don't know what to do, right? And mm-hmm. they may go to their family attorney, assuming they have one. Uh, most people don't even have that. Most don't. So, uh, you know, how, how do you recommend someone go about that? It's really hard. Um, it's really hard because most people don't know. And most of the law firms that shout the loudest ain't any good. Um, as a general rule, there are exceptions to this. 
this day and age. But as a general rule, the lawyers on the if you see your lawyer on a billboard or a bus, you should hire someone else. Um, how to find it is tough. Personal connections are really good if you have them. Mm-hmm. You know, if you know a, a, a lawyer who does family law, or uh, you've had you know, someone who does criminal law, or, or whatever else, asking that person for a referral is usually a good way to go. Mm. Because if they can't handle the case themselves, they're going to know someone who does. Um, beyond that, you you really want someone who specializes in personal injury. There there was a time a few decades ago where there were a lot of good PI lawyers who did different things, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that still happens in some smaller towns. But in a place like Alpharetta um, or anywhere in Metro Atlanta, if you need a PI lawyer, you want someone who specializes in it who does just that. And getting a referral is a good way to find it. Um, absent that, sort of Google reviews is a good way to go. But mm. you've got to look close because what has happened is that um, – a lot of business people and unfortunately lawyers too have learned how to manipulate some of the signals of trust in the online space. I'm shocked to hear that. I bet you are. I bet you are. (laughs) So you have, you know, people who who will buy Instagram followers. Oh, come on. And will buy Google reviews. So you just have got to read a few and like, Mm -hmm. I, I, we're still at a point where you can, um, kind of get a sense of whether they're legitimate or not by scanning a few of them. We well, may come to where AI changes that with that chat bot that's out now. But Yeah, that's that's a true statement. Yeah, yeah, that we could go down a long rabbit hole on that. That's true. Um, but you, let's say you get in front of an attorney. What are the signs you ought to look for? I mean, what are the red flags, right? And, or, or not, I mean, you can't see every new client that comes in. So maybe you've got a case manager, an intake manager, or wh- whoever that person is that you're in front of. What are the red flags someone needs to look for? I'm going to have to make a list on my pad here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How many pages? Yeah, yeah, man. So we've like written blog posts about this. but Because um, it, it's a hard thing people know and no one knows. And, and there's no reason someone should unless they're – a particularly type of person who, as you said, has got a PI lawyer on their refrigerator just in case. Um, the first thing to look out for is what we call runners. Um, in the personal injury space, the, you know, we have to abide by the ethical rules mm-hmm. that govern lawyers, and good lawyers do, almost without exception. It's, and then there's a heck of a lot of lawyers who don't, and almost without exception, those are the ones who don't really care about the clients. Mm. One of those rules is that you're not supposed to solicit business. So if you, John or in a car wreck. Mm-hmm. And I see you walking down the road with your arm in a sling. I, I cannot run up to you and be like, hey, man, you need a PI lawyer? I'd love to help you. You know, That's soliciting <laughs> right. business. You're not supposed to do that. Right. You're supposed to give people their space. Mm-hmm. The rule is, we don't do any of this stuff, but I think the rule is after 30 days, I could send you a letter that says, John, I am a personal injury attorney available to assist you. Signed, Jeb. Mm. Um. But there are a ton of lawyers who don't abide by that. And the typical format of that is um, they will have someone in like a a law enforcement position who can get them police reports of crashes before everyone else gets them. And they'll have people just randomly cold calling uh, people who've been hurt in collisions saying, hey, saw you've been in a crash. You want some help? Uh, If someone does that, they're violating the rules and they're probably don't really care about you. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't hire that person. 
Another way it happens is people will show up in emergency rooms. I, I, there will be like medical personnel who have a special arrangement, probably economic in nature, with some law firm or another, um, mm-hmm. who will allow in a representative of a law firm to say, hey, you should meet this person. Maybe they can help you. That's shady as it gets. Right. Don't do that. Um, another sign of trouble is someone who, who like doesn't ever try cases. Um, and you can ask lawyers about this and most of the time get a fairly straight answer. But um, lawyers who never go to trial are bad for any case. They're bad even if you don't want to go to trial if you want to settle the case. I think this is a, a, a something that a lot of folks don't realize. Um, we'll have clients, uh, and I'll start talking about the case and how to build it and, and what we need to do uh, to get ready for trial, and they'll sometimes say, Jeb, I, I didn't say I want to go to trial. I mean, I, I don't want to wait two years for all this. I don't mm-hmm. want to sit through a trial. Can't we just settle it? And the answer is yes. I mean, <clears throat> 95 or up percent of, of our cases even settle, and we mm-hmm. will try cases. Um, but if you have a lawyer who only settles cases, you ain't going to settle it well because the insurance company, whoever is on the other side of the case, knows that. Right. So you're not going to get – meaningful settlement offers that reflect the value of the case because they know that if they lowball you, you're going to eventually take it. Yeah. Since your lawyer doesn't have the shots but a good court up for you. Sure. No, that makes perfect sense. Um so if let's say you go to the next step, you hire uh you or any other PI attorney, can I discharge you if I'm not happy with what's going on? And yep. and how should I judge whether I'm, I should be happy or not, right? Because that's hard. But hard. You've got all these illegal terms, subrogation. But people don't even know what that is. I barely know what it is. You've been reading, man. That's yeah. good. <laughs> well, I had to do some homework for this interview. <laughs> but 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 uh, but even then, I mean, uh, you, you know, these are all terms that people don't know, and so they don't understand how to gauge effectiveness, right? Yeah, I mean, that's that's another really good point. Your first question is easier, so I'll answer that first. Can you fire your lawyer? Yes. Um, all you got, it, it doesn't have to be in writing. It's best doing writing if you get to that point. Um, we get this question a lot. People will call and they'll be irritated with lawyers, say, I want to hire you instead. We always are very careful to say, look, like that's a decision for you to make. If you take no position whether you should or should not fire your lawyer, um, if you decide to do it, you can. It's best to do it in writing. Uh, and it can be a text message if you have someone at the firm you can text with or an email or a letter or whatever. But all it needs to say is, I no longer want you to represent me. Thank you. Goodbye. And it's over. Mm-hmm. Um, you can ask for your file too, but that can be done later. Um, in terms of how to know, gosh, that's hard. Um, what what we see the most when people call us and they're irritated almost always with some billboard law firm, what they're irritated about is the lack of communication. And I can understand that. I think it's actually a pretty good sign mm-hmm. because as you accurately point out, John, you can't, most people aren't going to be able to assess the legal acumen of their, of their lawyer. I mean, they just hadn't been living in the space for long enough to sure. be able to tell whether they know what they're doing or not, but people can figure out whether the lawyer knows what's going on in their case. Right. So communication matters. If you, it, we get um, calls from frustrated clients when they say things like, I can't get a hold of my lawyer. I call and they don't call me back. 
I can't even talk to my lawyer. All I get to talk to is a case manager, and I don't even know what that person's background is. Mm. Um, or there are questions I keep asking that can't get answered. And that's a pretty good sign of trouble. I mean, if your lawyer doesn't have time to talk to you, perhaps you should find one who does if you want to. Um, so communication is is a is a good key. And then familiarity with the case can be another. You know, if you get your lawyer on the phone and the lawyer obviously has no idea who you, who you are or what your case is about other than the most superficial details that the lawyer can read on a computer screen that he pulls up when you get on the phone, mm-hmm. uh, then that could be a, a sign of a problem. Yeah. It's tough because if you if someone does want to uh, change lawyers, it is usually best to do that early in a case. Mm-hmm. The way most law firm contracts are written, um, if a settlement offer has been made and the law firm's fee is a contingency fee, that is a percentage like we talked about earlier, yeah. then uh, if the law firm is fired, that law firm is usually entitled to that contingency percentage on the highest offer made up to that point. Mm. So it is usually best um, if you're going to change lawyers to do so before an offer is made. Otherwise, a person has a hard time finding another law firm who's interested because so much of the fee is going to go to someone else who really didn't do a good job. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Good, good point. Um, you know, we're uh, coming down on time here and I want to make sure we get to, sounds like you had a story to tell us, but, and maybe this story fits with the question I want to ask, which is uh, I'd love to hear about a success story that you're particularly proud of. Thank you for that. Um, Softball question and nice reminder because I had forgot. I got talking too much as usual. Um, So we had a a case um, resolved uh, last year, 2022, that we were really going to make a difference. We had um, a young man in his 20s was in, um, in North Georgia and was at a, he was on, motorcycle was on a date. His motorcycle stalls out at an intersection. So he's sitting there trying to get the thing restarted. He's probably kind of embarrassed. He's got this cute girl on the back of his bike. Mm. Um, and there's a minivan coming behind him. The minivan hits him. Mm. Knocks he and his girlfriend um, off the bike. Uh, she has some, like, scrapes and stuff, and she's otherwise fine. I don't know if he would have been fine or not, but he gets knocked to, an- to another lane, and then another driver came by and ran over him. And ran off. So you had a mm. hit and run of a person who was laying prone in the lane after he'd got knocked off his motorcycle. And the injuries in that case, um, to I call him David Turnbull. That's a pseudonym to protect privacy. But for for David, the injuries were catastrophic. Um, he won't walk again. Mm. He won't talk again. Um, he's got the mental age. I mean, I, who knows what, but yeah. of a child in right. perpetuity. Mm. And you can imagine, like, that's one life that's pretty close to gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can imagine, if you think a little bit, how that probably affects his family. Because it, it reroutes everything. Mm-hmm. You know, like, they they don't have the money to take care of them. They've got medical insurance that covers some of the stuff, but it don't cover everything you need for someone in, in that condition who's essentially bedridden, the rest of the lot, they have to be fed through a tube. You have to move them to shower them. Um, you have to watch out for bed sores. Like it is a full time job to care for someone in that condition. We've had a few clients who, who were like that, and so it, it changes the entire life not only of him but of his family. Right, his, his parents have to devote 
like all of their non-work time to caring for him. They have to get up throughout the night to turn him because if you're if you can't turn yourself as he could not, and you, you lay stationary, you'll get what's called bed sores or mm-hmm. pressure sores or pressure ulcers. Right. Um, so someone has to wake up and turn him throughout the night. So like, there's no more sleeping the night through. They're caring for their adult son. Um, there's no more social life. They they have to worry all the time about what's going to happen to David when they are gone because you know you usually predecease your children, right? But who's going to care for him? Well, mm-hmm. there's not an obvious answer to that question. Uh, David had a brother. He worked out. He'd done real well and got a, a job out of state that he was real proud of. But was he going to have to move back, abandon his career to help care for his brother? You know, I don't know. Um, and it was a tough case from a legal perspective. The the available insurance limits um, were far too low to do any meaningful good with that case. Um, and then the dynamics of the collision were tough. You know, most people, I think, have heard of accident reconstructionists. It's an expert, often a former police officer, who will say, you know, what happened and why in a collision and kind of shed light on who's at fault. And we, mm-hmm. in order to help the family at all, we got to prove the person who hit David in the rear is at fault. We had to try five times before we found an accident reconstructionist who could help us with that case. Wow. You need a human factors expert. People usually don't know what that is, but they evaluate um, driver's reactions to various stimuli. Had to go through four before we found one. Anyway, we worked real hard on that case for a real long time. We were able to resolve it for $45 million. Mm-hmm. And that makes a world of difference, right? Now there is hired help um, who can come in and care for David. Now there's someone to care for David after his parents are gone. Mm-hmm. Now David's parents can have some sort of social life. Mm-hmm. They can also like do things they like to do before. Like they were a family that liked to camp in RVs. So now they can get especially set up RV to do that. Mm. In fact, we sent him to Black Rock Mountain State Park um, on David's birthday this past year after the case had resolved. But we had booked it up for him to give him something to look forward to. That's, time. that's awesome. So it's really cool. Uh, they're just fine people. Like we drove up there in person um, to meet with them and tell them when the case had resolved for that amount. And, um, you know, that's I talked about some hard things this profession that I'll remember forever, but that's a good one. Yeah. Wow. What a story. And what great work. Jeb Butler, folks, partner at ButlerCon. Jeb, I could keep going, but uh, we got to let you get back to uh, doing the great work you do. So let's give folks directions, though, that would like to learn more about you and your firm, maybe engage your services. What? Uh, how can they get in touch? Um, internet is butlerfirm.com. Phone is 678-940-1444. And thanks a lot for having me, John. It's a pleasure. Jeb Butler, folks. Uh, Jeb, thanks again for coming on. Hey, folks, just a quick reminder. If you have um, injuries in your business, pardon the pun, uh, if you've got administrative tasks, bookkeeping, other issues that are wearing you out, dragging you down, and you're not able to spend time with the most important people in your business, your employees, your your customers, your potential customers, I've got a solution for you. It involves the folks at Office Angels. They're not a temp aid firm or a placement uh, service. Office Angels matches a business owner's support needs with angels who have the talent and experience necessary to handle the work that's essential 
to maintaining a successful small business. They fly in, get the work done, and fly out. If that's something you need in your business, my suggestion is to call Essie Escobedo. She's at 770-442-9246 or go to officeangels.us and you'll be glad you did. I know that personally, I use their services. And folks, we are coming up on show number 600 for North Fulton Business Radio and we're excited about that milestone and we've reached, we're reaching that milestone because of you, because of your support of the show and because you do what we love to hear about. You share the show with others who might need the services of Jeb and the other some eight or 900 guests that we've had over the years. So um, continue to do that, please. And if you're not already subscribed to the show, you can go to your favorite podcast app and subscribe using the search term North Fulton Business Radio with the show will pop right up and you can subscribe and hear all our shows as they're released. So for my guest, Jeb Butler, I'm John Ray. Join us next time here on North Fulton Business Radio.